about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame head for their 12th claimed, 14th NCAA recognized, and 23rd national championship recognized by all major selectors. Welcome to season four of the Four Horsemen podcast, and we are so excited to get right back in it. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve as ever, and we are in for a good season. Two weddings, 12 football games, perhaps some sponsorship deals, and a whole lot of fun. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great, but I would like to amend what you mentioned. Yes, there are going to be two weddings. We're three weeks out from mine. Yes, I am starving to death. Uh, But you said 12 football games, and we're going to get into a season preview here at some point, but I'll just give you a little wink and nod and say it's going to be 14. Ooh, I like it. I like the confidence. I like where we're started. You know, our listeners, we're so happy to have you. This is, I can't believe we're four years in now. We've grown so much. We're going to grow. This is going to be our biggest season yet. We are by far, without question, the best American Canadian Notre Dame podcast out there. It's not, it's not even up for debate because I don't think there's another one. Um, so P Wagon will be joining us hopefully next week for the FSU preview. We're going to hold off on that. We're just going to focus more on Notre Dame and kind of the schedule as a whole this week. Um, so let's get right into it, Steve. I'm going to ask you how you feel about the roster now for listeners and for new listeners. If you go back to our depth chart episode, we break it down in far more detail um, but right now we're in camp. We're getting really close to the season. Um, so, Steve, your your thoughts on on how we're shaping up? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of tape coming out. It's it's exciting. You know, there was um, you know Jack Cohn starting QB now officially. We all knew that was coming, but it's it's official. Uh, you know, he he threw a laser to Michael Mayer, who uh, who you know showed an athletic football move to get into the end zone in camp. Kevin Austin had a picture come out the other day where his body looked like that of a Greek God. I mean, he looked not like if, well, I'm going to cover more about Kevin Austin. Don't you worry, but Holy crap. does he look poised to finally, if he can stay healthy, knock on wood, you know, make, make this year his bitch. Uh, offensive line has played a little, you know, flip flop here and there. Looks like, I, I guess they announced Patterson as the center, you know, his natural home. So, you know, he, there's going to be a little bit more movement and, and still nothing is solidified quite yet, but the offensive line's going to be, you know, we'll, we'll get into more position groups, but I mean, start to finish exciting camp. Everyone's looking good. And one thing of note. And again, I let's knock on wood one more time because I don't want to get way out ahead of ourselves. This is the first summer that we've had as Irish fans without an injury or without a uh, without somebody getting into trouble with the law. You know, that's what that's one critique I've had of Brian Kelly. To be honest, is you know he's had a handful of guys over the course of time uh, over his tenure either have to miss a season or miss a handful of games because of trouble with the law or trouble with academics. We haven't had any of that. Everyone's been on point. Everyone's been focused. And I think that's more indicative of a team is 
clearly seeing a path and saying, I don't want to screw this up. I want to be on the field. I want to be part of something special. So I think that actually adds to the anticipation and the excitement. Dylan, anything that you're reading there? Well, I think that's a carryover from last season too, right? Where what you saw last season was the best coaches rise to the occasion because it required more focus, more dedication, more attention to detail than ever. And look at the coaches who, you know, six, who thrived under the pressure, right? You got Dabo, you got Nick Saban, you got Ryan Day. Uh, and then Brian Kelly was, of course, one of them. And look who wasn't one of them. And that's Jim Harbaugh, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think I think COVID kind of exposed how good coaches can be. And I think Kelly has put himself in the top. I don't want to say top tier because clearly Saban is kind of up there alone with maybe Dabo. But in that top echelon of coaches. And I think it's carrying over. You're seeing the program be whipped into shape both off the field and in the recruiting aspect, which we covered, of course, in the last podcast. Things are looking good. Since that last podcast, we've had two high four-star receivers commit. It's Notre Dame right now is firing on all cylinders. Everyone's healthy. All the reports from camp are that everybody looks good. I'm excited. I think this is going to be a really, really good season for the Irish. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you every step of the way. Everything is really exciting right now. And, you know, just to, to give anybody, everyone some perspective, you know, CJ Williams, the last uh, commit here of the 2022 class, he is actually rated as the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, seventh best wide receiver commit in Notre Dame history. Wow. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there, there's more on the way in the future. If you know, we're, we're, you know, we're preparing a 2023 class. We're making some offers. You know, Carnell Tate said uh, just recently that, you know, early October, he's going to be announcing his commitment. That's basically Ohio state versus Notre Dame. Um, there's a lot going on, but I, there's, there's so much talent at this point that, it, that is finally, kind of breaking through and I think this is is one of those turning point years where there's like we just have too much momentum to let a good thing go yeah that's it but you, if you noticed a lot of the pundits and a lot of fans expect Notre Dame to not be good this year I mean I think pick six previews kind of as always had Notre Dame really far down the list I think them at 24 this year um, Notre, nobody's considering Notre Dame for the playoff and the argument we keep hearing is that Notre Dame has lost a lot of production so interestingly I took a look at how much production is lost and we are near the bottom of college football and right next to us is Ohio State Alabama <laughs> you know the great teams because what the great teams do is they produce a lot to the NFL and they replace it with more NFL talent so Steve I'll ask you are you concerned over the lost production from last season going into this season? Not necessarily, no. Uh, you know, this that's the essence of college football. You know, you get kids on campus for four years and they're off. You know, obviously it can be five years, but that includes a redshirt in some capacity. So that means you're you're really only well. You're and if you're eight, Sean, if you're Sean Crawford, it could be 42 years. years. Yeah, <laughs> yes, he has like 11 doctorates, seven masters. Yeah, he just kept getting degrees over the course of his uh, three decades on campus. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but just last year, who was going to fill in at running back, right? Because we had Tony Jones go to the draft, and then you know Kyren fills in. Uh, you know, we had. 
yep, re- wide receiver. You know, we had Javon have a breakout, uh, you know, s- season, and and uh, you know, and, and Ben Skoronek and and Avery Davis, you know, put his name on the map, and obviously he's going to be looking to carry that momentum forward. So that that's kind of just like baked into the cake where it's a constant thing where every two to three years you are cycling out position players and skill players that contribute, you know, statistically quote unquote. So am I concerned? Obviously, you know, when, when you have a good thing going that then, and you know what you're going to be getting, that makes things a lot more predictable, but simultaneously, you know, this is a, a deep team that's been building a lot of depth and a lot of talent that's been, you know, kind of waiting in the wings for quite some time. And, you know, it, it's about time that 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 talent kind of shines through and really, you know, these guys, you know, Braden Lindsay, Kevin Austin, Avery Davis, you know, like Jack Cohn, you know, he's he's coming back from an injury and a transfer. And, you know, Chris Tyree, he's going to be looking to make a name for himself. Kyren, he's trying to make himself a top you know, basically a first round pick. Let's, let's call it what it is. You know, defensive line, we can get into Myron. We can get into Drew White. We can get into, you know, Shane Simon. Is this going to be his last year? But even though this is kind of his first year as a starter, like there's, there's so many guys that we've heard their names for a long time. They haven't really broken through yet just because there's been guys on the depth chart ahead of them. And, and it's, it's exciting to say, you know, if these guys are coming out of nowhere, that's one thing. But these are guys that we have had had experience in the past. They have contributed in the past. Now it's their time to be full throttle as the starter. And I think the upside for a lot of them is astronomical in, in a word. Yeah, look, I get where people come from, right? This is just to, re- to refresh our audience's memory. This is what we lost. And uh, this is off the top of my head, so we probably lost even more. But you lose on the defensive side of the ball, your Buckus winning linebacker. You know, Jer- Jeremiah Wusokormar, one of the best I think we've ever seen in Notre Dame. You lose both of your edge rushers in um, Dalen Hayes and Addy. You lose one of your safeties in Sean Crawford. You lose on the offensive side of the ball four offensive linemen in what was one of the best offensive lines in the country. You lose, of course, your winningest quarterback in program history, Ian Book. You lose your top two production wide receivers and McKinley and uh, Skoranek. You also lose your tight end, uh, maybe more your backup in Tommy Tremble, who I think is a phenomenal athlete. And that's just off the top of my head. Notre Dame lost a lot of starters and a lot of production. My argument is a lot of the backups were better than the starters anyway, or were at least projecting to be better than the starters. And the example I'll give you, Isaiah Foskey, I think is going to He's be a premier, a premier edge rusher this year. Uh, Jordan Botello is an extra is an excellent player. You got uh, both Amadola brothers. You have Myron moving from inside to outside, therefore giving more room to our deep defensive tackle group. Kurt Heinisch has returned, of course. Offensive side of the ball, yeah, you, you lose Tommy Tremble, but your starter Michael Mayer, who's only a uh, sophomore, is is still your starter. You've got excellent depth at tight end that people don't know their names yet, but they are going to have breakout seasons in specific George Takis, Kevin Bauman. And then you got the two freshmen, right? The tight end group is really good. I think wide receiver were better than ever. You know, if there was a knock on the roster last year, the receivers didn't get much production. You look at this year, you know, Lindsay and Austin have to stay healthy, but it's not just Lindsay and Austin. It's what's behind them too, right? You got Lorenzo styles, the true freshman, you got Joe Wilkins, Xavier Watts, in the slot, you've got Avery Davis coming back after a decent season, and Lawrence Keyes, who I thought was extremely impressive in the spring game. And then at quarterback, 
you replaced a guy in Ian Book who, in his three seasons at Notre Dame, his quarterback rating, which is scale out of 100, it is the best statistic we have to encompass quarterback play. He was low 80s, high 70s, and then mid 80. That was his three years. Well, Jack Cohn was like 84, 85. You were replacing him with a consistently good starter at Wisconsin who took that team to the Rose Bowl. And he was in a system where, sure, it's not a, it's not a pass-heavy system, but he performed well. He made his throws. He looks good in camp. And, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I, when I look at what we're returning, I think both what we brought in transfer-wise with Cohn and, of course, Kane Madden on the offensive line and the actual talent that was, I think, projects to be better than the starters we lost, with the exception of Jeremiah Wusakorma, I think this team could be as good, perhaps even better. You're spot on. Everything you mentioned is is pretty much I'm in agreement with. Um, yeah, I mean, the time has come for a lot of guys who have been, you know, more talented than the people ahead of them, um, or or of equal talent, but they sat out in favor of seniority, you know, and that's that's kind of how like you know Jeremiah Usukormo was overshadowed by Asmar Belial over the you know back in in two, the 2019 season, but you know I could have told you that that JOK was, was something serious back in 2019. And then, you know, 2020, he really broke out. And, and I think that's kind of the point you and I are both trying to drive home here is, you know, just because some guys are relatively new or haven't had as much experience starting does not mean that you're going to see a precipitous drop off. The offense is, you know, the system is the system. You know, you're going to have guys plugging and placing. They're all playing replacement level. We, you know, we're, it's not like we're filling in, you know, these slots with, with low ranked players coming out of high school, these are, it's top tier talent that is willingly choosing to come to Notre Dame and sit for a few years and get used to everything, uh, at the behest of, you know, you're not going to get as much playing time, but you are going to be at a team that has competed for two out of the last three playoffs. And I just feel like it's such an, an anti Notre Dame thing too, right? Like, Nobody is looking at Alabama and saying they're only going to win three games this year because they're returning half of their production. Nobody is saying Ohio State's going to lose three games this year because they're returning half of their production. But people Clemson are saying about Trevor Lawrence and and his replacement is a you know obviously DJ he's incredible but like he's a Heisman candidate already. But yes, the thing right, Notre Dame's not getting that benefit. Notre Dame is getting well, you lost fifty percent of your production. Well, when are you going to realize that Notre Dame is closer to Alabama than they are Michigan? Far and away. Notre Dame, Notre Dame is closer to Notre Dame is closer to Ohio State than they are Penn State. Notre Dame is in the, I mean, with the exception of Clemson, Alabama, who've consistently put themselves in the top top tier. That next group of Ohio State and Georgia and Oklahoma, Notre Dame is in that group. Notre Dame is in that second tier of college football, and those groups have recruited well. They have developed well, and Coach Kelly's staff, whatever you think of them, they've developed better than they've recruited. So just imagine what the next few years are going to look like. I, Notre Dame doesn't get that benefit. We don't get the benefit of saying, well, you're just, it's Ohio State, it's Alabama. Well, mm-hmm. frankly, in the last four years, we've been a 10-plus win team every year. There's no reason for you to think we shouldn't be again. As we get into the schedule, we have all of our tough games are either at home or they're played in Chicago. We don't lose at Notre Dame. We just mm-hmm. we haven't since Georgia in 2017, and that was a game we probably should have won. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's it's a it's a, a Notre Dame's held to a different standard, and it is what it is. But you know, the people listening to the show, and us homers, us propaganda uh, propagandists, we know the truth. We know we know what's up. 
Yeah. And, and to close on your point, we have some segments that you and I are going to get into here. But one thing that you mentioned that I think has popped out, and I really want to emphasize the point. Uh, you mentioned that you know we've, we've developed well. Uh, and, and that's absolutely the point here is that, you know, Brian Kelly has done more with less. We are competing for national titles. You know, we were what two, three touchdowns worse than, than Alabama when Alabama absolutely blew that friggin' doors off of Ohio state in the national title game. Right. So our, our defense was up to the task. The offense was, you know, not quite there yet, but like we're building, we're building, we're getting there, you know, with, with three star quarterback at the helm, we've made it to the playoffs two out of the last three years. You know, a lot of the guys on, on the, this in, in our system are, are mid four stars that over the course of time, they sit, they develop and, and they play like high four stars, you know, five star guys, you know, like chase Claypool, he was a middle of the pack four star wide receiver. He was, I think, ranked anywhere from like 35th to like 70th position wise. And now he's in the NFL, an absolute stud. Like we just because we don't get the higher end recruits traditionally and, and that is changing rapidly. You know, the guys that we have, we are able to coach them up. And, and I it, there's there's so many different ways that I can kind of expound upon that. And I think if you go through the roster and and if you look at at where they were, you know, Drew White, as an example, everyone's talking about this kid like he is going to be one of the next great Notre Dame linebackers. Drew White, I'm he was, uh, I think, a three star, maybe a low four star, just like kind of a middling guy. And he really, really developed. And, and there's a lot of that on the roster. So, you know, Brian Kelly and his staff, top to bottom, Dell Alexander, you know, Everyone, you can go down every single assistant coach and they should all get their shout outs individually, but they are, this organization, this program is great at developing lower end talent into us being able to compete at a championship scale. And and that's, I think what's most remarkable in the last four years or so has been taking great teams and making them amazing teams. Uh, and that's, and that's credit where credit's due. Um, you know, we, We've criticized Kelly. I mean, you've criticized him already on the show. Um, and sometimes it's warranted, right? But there is a segment of the fan base who, till he wins that title, he's uh, he's not good enough for Notre Dame. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, but let's if, let's look into this. If season Brian here. Kelly had a Alabama or a Clemson roster, he would already have multiple national titles. And you could have argued he could have already won one at Notre Dame. He was just unlucky, right, to run into Alabama in 2012 when Ohio State should have been in that game, but they had to take a bowl ban. And that Ohio State team, they went undefeated, but they weren't that great. They they um, they weren't the Ohio State of today, right? They were just building back up after the Jim Trestle debacle. I think Notre Dame wins a title that year. I mean, if K-State doesn't lose to Baylor, Notre Dame plays K-State in the championship game, and that it will be the easiest championship game Notre Dame's played in their life, right? <laughs> so I think Notre Dame's been a little unlucky not to win one almost, uh, just the fact that they've been there so far. And I think I'd say the same about Oklahoma, too, actually, as much as we – Sometimes make fun of them, you know. They've they've run into some really good teams as well, um, but you know, looking at the roster, Steve, how, what position group do you think is the strongest and the weakest? Because um, I know I know you've done your homework here because this show does a lot of research. Um, so yeah, give me a shout. I know that was kind of tongue in cheek, but we we are really stepping up. Like I'm talking spreadsheets deep in terms of data, uh, in, in terms of research. So. Uh, I, I know we're 
a budding operation, but you know, we, we take this stuff seriously. And I, I think that far and away, you know, just kind of going offensive defensive side of the ball on, on the offensive side of the ball strongest has to be the running back core, right? Cause you have, you have Kyron Williams, he's coming off of, you know, a, over 1100 yards. And that was only over the course of 12 games last year. I'm, I'm sorry, 10 games. So, so that he was averaging, you know, 112 yards a game. Right. And, and he also scored 13 touchdowns over the course of that time. He was over a touchdown a game guy. Um, Chris Tyree as a true freshman in a limited role, only 73 carries for just a hair short of 500 yards. And then, you know, as you've mentioned in, in the past, like the, the best third down the depth chart running back in college football, Sebo Flemister. Sebo is a, a dude, man. Like th- this guy can, he's a bowling ball. He can really get after guys. I honestly think that Sebo could be a starter in the majority. I would say 70% of power five teams. I think Sebo is talented enough to be a starter, right? Like yeah, he's a, he's like a good like running back. NC state. Florida State, Virginia, like Pittsburgh, he could be at, at any of those schools. He could absolutely be a starting running back and he would absolutely have over a thousand yards. So like, don't sleep on like th- this is a very deep running back core. And obviously that's what we're going to be kind of relying on the most because we know what we're going to get. You know, Jack Cohen, I'm very high on him, but like at the very least, you know, we know we have a, a solid run game to rely upon. Defensive side of the ball, I was stuck. I mean, it, it's obviously the front seven in one capacity or another. I personally am, am going with the linebacking core. I'm really high on Jack Kaiser. Love Shane Simon. He's an, a freak athlete. And Drew White is is really poised for something special this year. And right behind them, you know, Isaiah Pryor. Well, there's been there's been rumors out of camp that maybe Maris Leafau might actually take over the starting job from Shane Simon. Which I, and is I was crazy. Yeah, I was just about to and, and again, Maris Leafau was a three star linebacker that came out of Hawaii and he's really developed very well. And he he got some playing time early on in his career. Uh and, and that was the point I was about to make. You know, the three guys behind the uh, you know, White Simon and Kaiser are Isaiah Pryor, who is a redshirted senior and and a transfer from Ohio State. You have Maris Leofau, who's really played way above any sort of expectation. He's made a great name for himself. And Bo Bauer, who uh, is is like this, just this rugged, rugged man that looks like he could kill people with his bare hands. So I, I'm I'm personally going with the linebacking crew. But how about yourself, Dylan? Well, for me, the strongest group, I I went with the D line, just because, like we had said in another podcast, I feel like we've got five starters. Five caliber, five starting caliber players to play two edge positions. Like we are very, very deep here. Like Foskey, Botello, uh, Myron, Justin, Admiola, and then Nana. That's five edge players. You know whether it's the Viper or whether it's the big end that I think could start for Notre Dame. You got five of them, and that's not even counting the D tackle group. When you got Jason. Kurt Heinisch, who I think is one of the most underrated nose guards in college football. Uh, Jacob Lacey, uh, Riley Mills, who has been an absolute animal in every stint we've seen from him. Howard Cross has shown a lot of talent as well, and he's the third nose guard right now. And then, of course, you got Gabriel Rubio, who I think is one of the best players from our recruiting class. He's going to be a true freshman. So I think the front, the, the, the D line is kind of where I would go. Um, in terms of weakest, I think we're in agreement defensively here where it's probably the corners. That's just because we don't know what we really have. 
Tariq Bracey took a step back. I expect him to be better, but he's going to play probably the slot. So we'll see him a little less frequently. And if he can thrive in that role, you know, you might see less of the rover too, right? Because the more there's a corner slot, that may actually replace um, the rover in, in those packages, um, which I, I'm all for the flexibility. Um, I think, you know, uh, Clarence Lewis really played well last year, but is he going to take another step? That's going to be a big question because I wouldn't feel comfortable him being my number one on a championship caliber team from what I saw last year. I thought he was really good. If he takes that step, that group could be really, really good. Um, Cam Hart's another guy, a, a, a converted wide receiver. If he comes in and plays to the caliber the coaches think he can, all of a sudden the second group is our is our best group, the second. So that's just kind of my thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm in agreement there, uh, for for sure. So, uh, in terms of you know the weakest position groups, I definitely went with the cornerbacks on defense. Everything that you mentioned is is pretty much spot on. Uh, I don't really want to keep harping on it because you made all the points that I would. In terms of the offense, just because I like doing both sides of the ball, um, the wide receiver group has the most upside but the most kind of uncertainty and and that's where i i could see some weaknesses i could see some some cracks in the armor if they don't you know they just simply don't have the experience that we would have liked you know braden lindsay as as fast and as athletic as he has been you know that incredible end around run against usc he's had his moments he's just had a lot of soft tissue issues he's you know he's 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 been off the field just as frequent as on the field I, I love Braden. I think he legitimately is an NFL caliber prospect. Same with Kevin Austin. Same with Avery Davis. Same with Lawrence Keys. I even think as as low down the list as as uh, Joe Wilkins. But you know, there's there's just not enough kind of uh, playing at a high enough level with experience for me to be confident that they're going to be at an equal level to the rest of the team. Now I'm not saying that they can't play replacement level football, but we as an, as an organization, as a program are kind of over playing replacement level. It's more so like every year you should be getting better and better and better. And I, I think upside potential wise we're there, but they're they're These guys are definitely going to prove it. So that's what I'm taking as the quote unquote weakness. And trust me, they're not that weak. No, if they play up to what you we expect them to, with Lindsey being healthy and Austin being healthy, of course those are big ifs. But that could be the strength of the team by the end of the season, right? 100%. If, if Styles breaks out, you got two great slot receivers in Davis and, and Keys. For me, offensively, I'm a little more concerned with the offensive line just because we've only got one returning Notre Dame starter. We have two returning starters, if you count Kane Madden from Marshall. Um, who, by the way, Notre Dame beat Florida State out for, so that's going to be very interesting in week one. Um, but I'm looking at it now. I We anticipated Patterson to play left guard. If he's playing center, I don't know what that means for Zeke Correll. If Zeke Correll will play the left guard, or if Rocco Spindler will, or if Andrew Christofik will. But you got Josh Lug probably playing right tackle, and you look like you have um, Blake Fisher playing left tackle, the true freshman. So there's just, I think, too many question marks for me at, for, at offensive line right now to to be comfortable with, I'd say, I'd say that may, might be my weakness on the offensive side of the ball, but you know, you got Patterson and Kane and if Fisher holds his own as a freshman, that group's starting to look really good. You know what I mean? So it's, I think that's where we're at Notre Dame is our weaknesses can easily become strengths by the end of the season. And, and I think that's really healthy for, for this program. 
Yep, hundred percent. You know, they, especially on the offensive line, they've recruited at such a high level and they've developed at such a high level. From Harry Highstan, who you know obviously moved on to the Chicago Bears, and who who's the coach now? The coordinator is it Quinn? Jeff Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff Quinn has has kind of just stepped in and been just as as phenomenal with kind of you know coaching these guys up. So hey, be uh, careful. There's a there's there's a good portion of the fan base who does not like Jeff Quinn. So okay. Them All them right. are fighting words, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you can you can find these fists st- stuck right behind like what well, didn't they win an offensive line trophy <laughs> last year? Yeah. So I'll I'll hold that that offensive line trophy in one hand and throw fists with the other if anyone wants yeah. to fight about Jeff Quinn's fucking credentials. Well, you know, they're not all his guys, except Patterson was. And Patterson is arguably our best offensive lineman. I know Eichenberg and Banks are pretty good. But I'm sorry, i got to play devil's advocate there. there there's a lot of um, different opinions that I respect and I would like to platform because they are valid even if we disagree with them. Correct. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm drinking whiskey. I got a little aggressive on that one. No, no, that's good. That's good. We're we're, op- we're an open show. Man. We're, we are the Golden Domer Homer podcast. We are for... Beautiful. The diehards, we are for the, the the fighting Irish faithful. It's it, we have a good time. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we have a fun time with it. Um, so let's let's get into X factors because I think in any season, the outcomes can be completely determined by a position group or a player or a coach, anything of the sort. So for this season, what is your X factor or factors? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to factors with an S, and that's because, once again, I'm going to go uh, stay with the theme of one offense, one defense. On offense, I've already brought up his name before, and and I'm I'm going to challenge the man. And I really, you know, this is his last year on campus. I want to see him as an All-American, and I think he has the ability to do it. Kevin Austin, if you have ever been poised to have a year where you have over a thousand yards receiving and, and really show people like I am worth the weight. I am, you know, like you guys put, uh, put a lot of emotional capital in me over the course of, of the, the last few years. You know, he's had ups, he's had downs, he's had injuries, he's had troubles on and off the field. It's, it's been a ride, but Kevin Austin is a great young man. He is absolutely poised and built like a brick shit house. I mean, this, he has looked fantastic in camp and, and, yeah, he has always been one of my favorite players since the day he he even signed, let alone got on campus. Uh, so I expect big things out of out of Kevin Austin, and and he has, I mean, Braid, again, Braden Lindsay. We we kind of know what we're getting out of Braden. Avery Davis. We kind of know what we're getting out of him. Even Lawrence Keys. We don't really know what we're getting out of Kevin, and that's what makes him the X factor. If he plays up to what I think he can. <laughs> that's the difference between Notre Dame competing at the next level, you know, whatever that next level may be. Uh, so that's, that's covering the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, almost exactly the same exact sentiment. These are two guys that should have been on the field playing a lot earlier in their career, making plays a lot earlier in their career. It just didn't work out that way. And I'm going with Houston Griffith. He's uh, he's going to be the free safety, presumably uh, starting free safety, you know, and then you got Kyle as the strong safety. Did I get that correct? Or Yeah. They, they, uh, well, they, Kyle looks like the free safety and then, so and then Houston as the strong. From what I understand. So in the depth chart, Notre Dame releases, they'll have Kyle is free and Houston is strong. But the okay. way I understand it is they're going to play it more left side, right side or boundary and field. 
Yeah. Um, so you'll see Kyle Hamilton play everywhere. You know, I don't think he's, he's not a traditional free safety where he's going to be hanging high and he's the last man of defense. He's also going to be at the line of scrimmage, right? It, Notre Dame's going to be flexible with their safety. So yeah. it's almost, it, I think of it as one safety and two safety. I don't really, yeah. I don't like to think of it as, as uh, one or the other. I mean, Kyle's is, is as balanced as they come. Not only did, has he literally by, yeah. you know, this is a PFF statistic. He has never allowed a touchdown in his entire college career. His like past defending you know, statistics are through the roof. Kyle is arguably the best coverage safety in, in America. He also led the team in tackles last year with 63 tackles, right? So yeah. like he, he, he can come up into the box. He, he has tackles for loss. Like he can get up there and make plays. And I think, you know, basically letting Kyle be Kyle is going to be contingent on, you know, having a very strong and dependable safety in, in, in Houston Griffith. And, you know, Sean Crawford, there, there was a handful of times he got beat last year. Uh, he obviously transferred from a corner, a slot corner to a safety. So it was a little bit of, of a different thing. I'm not putting Sean down in any capacity. He's great. He's in the NFL. Um, but it just felt like it was kind of patchwork last year, putting him at safety. And this year we have by design, Houston Griffith is, is playing back there. And if after all these years, him finally getting on campus, if he can make the plays and, and kind of play center fielder and let Kyle just be that guy, I think we got a really good thing coming, especially with the, with the pressure coming from the front seven. Mildly off topic, but I cannot wait to see Kyle Hamilton play Navy. And that's the only time I'll ever be excited to play Navy is just because <laughs> that option ticky tack nonsense. Kyle Hamilton is going to sniff out. I expect him to cause a fumble. I expect him to actually intercept a pitch for a touchdown and I expect him to break at least three angles. I just, it's my expectation for Kyle Hamilton against Navy. I'm with you there, buddy. <laughs> okay. So for me, uh, I'm going to just stick with one. It's a cop out answer, but it's the most important position in the game. The quarterback, I'm going to say Jack, Jack Cohn is the X factor, especially in releasing your X factor. Um, Kevin Austin, I think Tommy Rees, we give him a lot of flack after the Alabama game. We we, we, were, we were emotional too, right? We had, we had thought he wasn't good enough for the job or whatever. But credit to him. He has come into the season. Not only he recruited well, he's coached well. He's committed to playing a higher octane, more explosive, more pass-first offense. That seems to be the – that's what he's told people. That's the direction it looks to be going. And credit to him. That's where we need to be. We need We have caught up to Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson defensively. And I would argue we have surpassed maybe two of those teams, maybe all three. On offense, we're nowhere near them. And that's the difference right now between Notre Dame and a national championship is we are not a 40 points per game offense. We have to become one. We have to become a team that can go down the field in three passes and score a touchdown. We need to be able to spread the defense. We need to be able to be efficient with how we both throw the ball and run the ball. Because when you are efficient offensively when you're throwing the ball first and you're getting you know seven yards on first down you're setting yourself up for a more favorable running position because you will be running on shorter downs there'll be less guys in the box and you'll just have a more successful run game that's what alabama did last year right nick saban was the first guy to say he's like look i'm not going to win national championships anymore playing that kind of offense we're going to move to a pass heavy explosive offense and we're going to utilize the run game smartly and you saw how good the run game could be when you use it correctly and I think that's something Notre Dame's got to steal. Notre Dame's got to become that. And I think Jack Cohn 
is more of that guy than people think he is. People think he's just going to be a game manager. No. You know, an, he's going to be an awkward, unathletic white quarterback. Hold on. I think this kid can throw. I think this kid can move. And I think he's smart. He's run the offense before. He had a draftable grade on him last season after his injury. I think I'm not calling him Joe Burrow. Hold your horses because a lot of that had to do with Joe Brady at LSU. But I think he could have a very big breakout season. And that is in conjunction with the scheme and the play calling. If that is harmonized the way we want it to be, if Cone is as good as we think he can be, and if we move for that kind of offense, it won't be a, tradi- a tra- transitional year offensively. People are expecting it to be like, we're going to move to that offense. We're going to ha- you know go through a rough patch, and then next year will be an explosive offense. I think we could be it this year. And if we are it this year, I, that's the only thing Notre Dame is missing, in my opinion. So that's, to me, the biggest X factor going into the season. Agree. Hard agree. And I, I think what is going to distinguish Jack from from Ian, because like there's so many different comparisons that are like so close in nature to the way that both of them style their game. You know, Ian being six foot and then Jack Cohn being like six, three and some change. That three inches makes a difference, man. I think Jack sees the field a little bit more clearly than Ian does. And I'm not putting Ian down in any capacity whatsoever. Fourth round pick. He had his his first NFL, you know, preseason game where he played pretty pretty darn good. Right. He he like he balled out. And and I think he's, he legitimately is going to fight for a starting position in the NFL. And and I think he has a future. Uh so I'm not putting Ian down in any capacity. I just think Ian did not see the field as clearly just because of his height disadvantage. And I think the height advantage of Jack Cohn is an X factor, quote unquote, since we're on the topic of kind of separating him and and giving him an opportunity because, you know, having this offensive line, but also having all the weapons around him and an offense designed to make a quarterback flourish, like, you know, this, he's not going to experience the same offensive line he did uh, or the same system that he did over at Wisconsin. I think people are going to be extraordinarily surprised at how good Jack Cohen is. So you're spot on, man. Well, with that said, should we kind of head into some some schedule outlooks? Because we we want to get this um, this party started here. So first game of the season, we're not going to get too much into it because we will be doing a podcast next week, hopefully with a guest. Uh, for the Florida State uh, season opener in Tallahassee. That'll be on Sunday, September 5th. That'll be prime time because we are Notre Dame and we are prime time. Um, without, like, don't give me a win-loss or anything. Just, Do you have any thoughts on Florida State this year? And we'll, we'll do it this way. I'll, I'll list you the team and you give me you know, a note or two you have on them. Mm-hmm. Better than last year, still not good enough to compete with the Irish. That's my two-sentence uh, thing. Yep, I Two think analysis. we'll talk about it more next week, but my concern is just first game of the season, road environment, I think Texas 2016, that's my concern, but I agree with you completely, they should not be able to compete with us. Um, next, we play Toledo at home. Programming alert, this game is on Peacock. We're obviously... Yeah, which is... Which is discriminatory against Canadians, by the way, because we are geo-blocked from getting Peacock to begin with. We can't even pay for it. They won't allow us. you got to get a VPN, brother. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously this is just a matter of will or will they not cover the spread. Yep, I think that's well said. Um, Purdue is coming back on the schedule after a little hiatus there. Uh, an Indiana rivalry nobody cares about. 
We don't care about them. The only reason that I care is that we are playing Purdue at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the day of my wedding. I get married at precisely 3.40, 3.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you know, so I'll I'll be like on the the altar, quote unquote, um, you know, because I'm getting married outside. Uh, but I, I'm going to be like up there waiting for my wife to be walking down the aisle while watching an iPad of of the game streaming. Uh, let's, gonna, let's just hope Notre Dame puts them out of it early so you don't have to go through all that. That's the thing. That the, Honestly, this is one of the most terrifying games on the schedule for me because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to watch the game in person. And it's also the week before Wisconsin, which is making me nervous. So like in an, in, in any rational, normal, like facts, statistic, logical driven world, we're going to beat Purdue by 31 points. But like, it's my wedding, so something has to go wrong. Yeah, and Purdue always plays us plays us tight too. To be fair, but and they get a good coach there, um, down in in Purdue or up there in Purdue. I don't really know where Purdue is located. I think it's somewhere south, around. In, it's some. It's south of South Bend because South Bend is north. Anyway, um, then we have the first real game of the season. We are playing uh, the twelfth ranked AP, fifteenth ranked coaches, Wisconsin. It's I think it's technically a road game, but we're playing in Soldier Field. Chicago. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's technically a home game is what I saw when I looked on the schedule online, but regardless, it is what it is. It's basically going to be a 50-50 you know, split house in terms of attendance, so call it what it is. Um, it's going to be on Fox programming alert, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so that's going to be 11 uh, a.m. Central. And I hate this game. I hate it with a fiery passion. I don't like Soldier Field. I don't particularly like playing on grass, whether it be Soldier Field or or Heinz Field in Pittsburgh or the, the whole nine. Uh, I still think we are are going to bully Wisconsin, all things considered. Um, they but, got a good quarterback. No, Works. they don't. Nope, he's a pussy. I nope, 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 <laughs> nope. I'm not letting Graham Mertz get into my brain. Jack Cohn forever. We're gonna win. <laughs> I like that reaction. Just like, oh, this guy's good. And then you just go straight with like the hardest insult you could think of. <laughs> All right. Well, let's... would we not be a propagandist podcast if if not? Yeah, no, we are the Homer Domer. Right <laughs> All right. Next, we got a very tough game at South Bend. It'll be number eight slash number 10 Cincinnati coming to play the Irish Cincinnati has got one of the best corners in the game right now. They are returning a lot of talent. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts about that program? I do. Gee, really feel bad for them. They lost their defensive coordinator. That stinks. There's some guy, right? Like uh, some some decent decent coach or, or something? He's, he's not just any man. He's actually a god among men. Um, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Where did he Freeman go again? Forever. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, we're going to win by, by 17 points. I'm not worried about that. It's just, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. Game day, expect everybody to put us on upset alert. We're going to, yeah. we're going to hammer them there. Um, then we have a game on the road at Virginia tech. I wonder if Metallica will play them out again. Who knows? Um, any kind of thoughts on the Hokies? Because it's been a while since they've been really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, think back to being in Blacksburg a couple of years ago, you know, Julian Love with the forced fumble, then the recovery return for a touchdown, you know, 
uh, Metallica didn't work too well for them that that night. But then the next year they came back and gave us a, a fight to the absolute finish in South Bend. You know, it, it basically came down to Ian Book and, and Claypool taking over the game on the final drive. So um, that might that might have been the worst Notre Dame game I watched. They, they did years. play objectively. Absolutely. Very fun. bad. Um, yeah, if, if we're going to have uh, a trap game, I, and that's kind of a segment that we were supposed to have later on, but I'll just kind of highlight it now. You know, this is the one to be concerned about if, if you're yeah. going to be lulled to sleep by a clearly inferior program, but yeah. I'm obviously taking the Irish to win. It's also a victim of the schedule too, because you got two ranked games, Wisco, Cincinnati, and then you got two ranked games after it. And this is a road game. It's just, it's a scheduling trap game. It's not. Virginia Tech is special. Yeah. It's just it's it's a decent team on the road in the middle of a very tough stretch. So and if if we lose either of the first two games, I'll be really nervous about this one. Yeah, I mean, two things worth noting. One, scheduling or, or uh, programming alert. This game is going to be on ACC Network, which is bullshit. Second thing worth noting is that the, the week following Virginia Tech is a bye week. So that's the only saving grace that makes me feel like, okay, maybe the guys are going to focus and just blow them out of the water because they have the bye week to, to focus on, you know, down the list, which we'll get to in a moment. Those are two notes that I wanted to make. And, and Dylan, I'll let you continue from here. Well, that's a great point. Cause after the bye week we have what we've been going on about on the podcast, the greatest rivalry in college football, period. Stop calling it the greatest intersectional rivalry. There are no other intersectional rivalries. <laughs> it's just this one. It's That's like saying, like, I'm the best Canadian Notre Dame podcast host. I'm the only one, okay? So just, you know, call me the best host, period, and let's <laughs> move on with it. So USC, obviously, is what I'm talking about. We got the Trojans at home. They're ranked 14th and 15th in the pools. I think... I think USC is the best team on the schedule. I don't think it's the toughest game because it's at home. I think Wisconsin is the toughest game because it is on the road. And if the weather is bad, I just foresee Michigan 2019 all over again. If it is raining and we can't throw the ball, I'm scared. But if it's a decent weather, I think we'll beat Wisconsin. Um, But with USC, at least, I think they're a better team than Wisconsin. I think they have a great quarterback. I think they have a really good offense. Um, I think they're underrated, actually, in the polls. But we're at home, and they don't beat us in South Bend. The last time they beat us, I think, was 2011, which was literally 10 years ago. So, ah, what do you think? Everything you said, I'm pretty much in agreement with. Uh, I think we win. I also think USC is a top 10 team in the nation. Yeah. No, I think Slovis is is really good, and I don't like to give them credit. But I think that's going to be a fun game, and we're going to have some friends of ours, I think, on for that um, for that show as well. I'm aiming to get two USC fans on, so it's a little more balanced, so we can't bully the one guy. You know what I mean? They got kind of two of them. Um, okay, so after that, we have a really tough game against North Carolina, ranked 10 or 9 in the polls. Uh, Mac Brown, Sam Howell. What are your thoughts with that program? I am... I think if if there's anyone overrated on the schedule, it's UNC. You know, they, didn't they? They lost both their running backs, what Javante and and I forget the other one's name. Uh, forgive me. Yeah, yeah. So they they lost some big pieces. Yeah, you know, their QBs. Uh, he's he's quite talented. He's going to be a first round pick. He's probably going to be a top fifteen pick, and and good for him. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was also like a top ten pick coming out of UNC, and look how his years Duke, went there. I think. Or was it UNC? He was UNC. Yeah, was. Daniel Jones was Duke. Yeah, yeah the, the so, New York Giants bust. By yeah, the way. 
Yeah, so congratulations. You have a good QB on an overrated program is my thoughts on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of see that too. But it's just it's the stretch of games. It's Wisconsin, it's Cincinnati, it's Virginia Tech, and then it's USC. That's four top 15 ranked teams in five games and in six weeks with a bye week. That's just a lot. I could see that being a trip-up game too, but look, we're at home. They couldn't beat us last year, and they didn't really come close to us. Like The score was close for a bit, but Notre Dame dominated that game down in uh, in Chapel Hill. Um, yeah, but so yeah, I, he I, had less. The quarterback had less than 225 yards. He had one. Uh, I don't. Did he have a touchdown? I think he had one rushing touchdown. I know for certain. I think he had one touchdown, no interceptions, if I remember correctly. But I think he had like 212 yards. Yeah, somewhere he, he, he was not quarter. impressive, basically. No, no, Notre Dame had locked him down, and I think that's not going to change because I think Freeman's going to be as good as Carkley. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read the next four together because they're all really bad teams, and we should not struggle with any of them. We play Navy at home. We play at uh, Virginia, which is the famous gif of the dead Cavaliers fan. Nash Soul. In his first pass ever, hits Will Fuller. That was amazing. Um, and then we are at home to Georgia Tech, who we seem to play kind of often. And I know we got the ACC tie-in, but man, Georgia Tech is always on the schedule. And I don't really care for them too much because they're, I mean, they moved away from the triple option, but they're always a tough team to play. And losing to them is pretty rough. That's a, that, that's a pretty rough loss. Um, so that's not going to happen. And then, we, of course, we finished the season off in Palo Alto, Stanford, or as I say, the program formerly known as Stanford, because they are a shell of their former selves. Um, and I don't think they're going to get much better this year. Okay. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on, on that last point. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything else. I mean, beat Navy, beat Virginia, beat, uh, beat Georgia Tech. That's uh, Everything is, is pretty much straightforward there. What I will say is if we do get Georgia Tech in, in next year, 2022, um, Atlanta is one hell of a fun city. So, uh, you know, maybe there will be some sort of horseman pod, you know, a man on the ground spot, you know, down in Atlanta, Georgia, if we play at, at Georgia Tech next year in Atlanta, just saying, I don't know the schedule off the top of my mind right now, but great city. Um, well, I am afraid of Stanford on the road to close out the season because I'm predicting clearly being a propagandist that we are going to be 11 and 0 at that point. And I know we went through this same exact thing two seasons ago and we ended up beating Stanford, right? That was the chase Claypool game when he just like went off uh, and, and had like a million touchdowns, but it's 2019 though. We didn't have playoffs on the line. Yeah, we did not have the playoffs on the line. But that's, I, I, we broke the voodoo because Kelly had never won. Yeah, no, Kelly broke his streak in 2019 at Stanford on the road. Um, and, and I just don't like playing at the farm. So if there's Which is any, weird because they have no fans there ever. It's, and it's, it's an abysmal. It's the worst. It's the worst home stadium, I think, in college football for, yeah. like, fans and energy. It's just awful. Yeah, I mean, their they're fucking nerds are too busy working on, like, Dogecoin, which, by the way, to the moon. But, like, uh, they, they should they, – they have to – I don't know. It's just it, – it just feels like a funky game. I don't like that Stanford game. I think we win, obviously, because I'm a homer and I'm going to pick ND 99 times out of 100. But – but I, I'm, I'm calling this right now on August 20th. Not a fan of that game on the road at Stanford. Yeah, I, I have no, um, 
problems with that just because we have so much trouble there. I just, I don't know. I don't look at Stanford and see a team that's going to be 10 wins again like they used to be when we used to have some pretty great games in the early mid-2000s. I mean, some of the best games of my memories are against Stanford, right, with um, the 2012 goal line stand, 2014, fourth and 20 into the end zone in the last play of the game almost. Um, but, yeah, that's just that's just me. So I think we covered toughest game. We both agree it's Wisconsin, right? Uh, I actually have USC as the toughest game on the schedule. Okay. I, I think USC is the toughest opponent. I just think the location and the style makes it a little tougher, Wisconsin. But, okay, we're we're pretty much in agreement there. And we both agree Virginia Tech is the trap game just by default because of the situation we're in. Correct. So let's go through them again, but just win-loss. And you just told us you were 11-0, and 0, so um, let's just hear you say win 11 and 12 times. So, Steve, Florida State, how you got it? Win. I got this a win, too. Uh, Toledo. Win. I got it a win as well. Purdue. Win. A lot. No, of course it's a win. Um, we're not going to lose to the Boilermakers. Um, Wisconsin. Blowout. Ooh. If it's sunny, if it's sunny, if it's raining, I don't want to watch the game, but I'll say a win as well. Um, Cincinnati. Win. Yeah, I think that's a game that isn't going to be as close as people think it is. I think Nerds going to win by two to three touchdowns, and then the conversation will be, oh, this team is for real. Um, Virginia Tech on the road. Win. USC at home. I agree, by the way, on the win. Overtime? <sighs> win. <laughs> oh, I can't. No, there's no way I'm watching that game. Um, I'm going to say we win by 13 points. Um, UNC. That's uh, that's going to be at least a two-score win. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. It's a win. Navy? Blow the doors off them. Yeah, I think so, too. Win. UVA? Shouldn't even show up. Yep, that's another win. Georgia Tech. Big W. Win again, and then Stanford going 12-0, Steve? Win by 10. Yeah, I think we're going to win that game, too. Probably not as big as we should. Um, I have the average going 12-0 this year, too, and I'm the more realistic one. I just, I think we are the better team in all 12 games, and I understand on the run of play, we should probably drop one or two. And if we win 10 games this year... If we win 10 of the 12, I think that's a successful season, mildly disappointing. But if we win the bowl game, a good season. If we win 11, that's a good season. Of course, we want to win the bowl game. I will happily take a New Year's Six bowl game win just to break the stupid fact that we haven't won one in 20 years. But I want the playoffs, and I think we can get to the playoffs just like last year. And just like two years ago, because I think we're better against every team on the schedule. And last year, we actually had to play Clemson, who we weren't better than. I think this is a tough schedule, but it's favorable in the way we play them at home. And I think, of course, being a homer, but also being somewhat realistic, Notre Dame can, and I think we'll go 12-0 this year. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, worst case scenario, something goes wrong, 11-1, and 10-2. I think I'm going to echo your sentiment successful seasons i i think we're a perennial 10 winner better program at this point from what we've built ourselves up to be uh 10 is i i think your wording on it was almost pretty much the the most flawless way to describe it successful but disappointing and that, yep. that, that that's a great way to describe a 10 and 2 season at Notre Dame. and and, and obviously it's but if you win a when you win a new year six bowl game yeah. you're that you're feeling a lot better we absolutely i just wonder 11 and one with this schedule do we get into the playoff obviously it depends on what goes on 
elsewhere, but I, I think, I think we can. And I think people, some people think Notre Dame will never be accepted as an 11 and one team. And maybe because the committee might now have a bias against us being blown out twice. But I think before the committee would have put us in one loss. They had us in the three spot until we lost to Miami in 2017. And uh, we were in the three spot until we lost to Stanford. Well, Oklahoma had jumped us the week before to the four spot, and we were five or whatever it was. But we were in the playoff until we lost to Stanford, and that absolutely killed our shot. So I think they're willing to put a, a one-loss Notre Dame in. It's just going to depend on what other people's records are looking like and if the committee is truly objective every year with just getting the four best teams or the four best resumes in. Because – Look, look at that schedule. It's it's not easy. Not many teams play that kind of schedule. Um, Clemson's got one good game, I think, on their schedule this year, and that's going to be Georgia, right? And that's the first game of the season. I suppose if they play North Carolina, I, 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 I don't know. that game, man. That's going to be a tough one because if, if Clemson loses that game, I don't know how they're getting into the playoff because you're going to have to run the table against the ACC hey, and win the ACC. Data point. Well, that's the against thing, right? Just, Southeast McNeese State. <laughs> well that's the, that's the thing right but you know we'll, we'll we'll see i mean we don't need to get into the committee guru math right now i think 11 and 1 puts us in a shot but if we are in a, if we win a new year six bowl game i am content with this season but do not count the irish out of a playoff spot my yeah. only concern is oklahoma i think is going to be their best in a long time alabama will always be alabama georgia is going to be good this year um, Clemson, of course, will be good this year. Ohio State has a very easy schedule, if I recall. I think I don't think they have any big ones. Maybe Oregon. Do you know if we'll the Oregon games this year or next year? Um, give or me ever. Maybe I'm just tripping. Forty seconds, and I'll have that answer for you. Not even. Yeah, but while you look at that up, uh, I just think those are really favorable teams to get to go undefeated. Oh, Steve. Yep, September 11th, uh, noon game in right. so I, Columbus. I'm glad I have a good memory. So we are. So Ohio State does have a decent schedule because they're playing Oregon. Um, but look, those are teams that are going to be tough. And if they run the table, well, we're in trouble. But we can run the table too. And if we do, we'll be in because you're not going to have five teams go 12 and 0 this year. It's just not going to happen. So I think that's how I feel about the schedule. Do you have any other thoughts before we move into? Um, kind of what ESPN thinks of us. <laughs> Fucking ESPN. Um, yeah, I mean, eleven and one, we are a top six program, and it's you know it's kind of just bubble and waiting to see how everything plays out. So you're basically spot on once again. Uh, and twelve and zero automatic bid. There, there, it, it is inexcusable for a twelve and zero and an ND team not to be in the playoff this year. And I, I think that's where we're trending. Obviously. Perfect. So we'll move over to. Um, the only real data that kind of exists out there at this point um, that I could find is uh, ESPN's FPI, which is um, Football Power Index. And what that does is it measures a team's true strength on net point scale. And I'm quoting them here. Expected point margin versus average opponent on neutral field. What that means is based on whatever formula they have, what is your expected score against an average opponent on a neutral field? And how does that compare against other teams in the country? It's shouldn't be too complicated but it's got a little bit of math to it um they have no and i don't know how they've done this i don't know how much data is from last year and how much production i don't know the secret formula all i know is heading into this season we're seventh in the country which i think is fair um they give us a 3.5 percent chance to win out which i think is a little bit low but anyone way too low 
but anyone knows probabilities that 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 makes sense, right? You're gonna if you have four fifty percent chance win games, I mean your odds of winning all four of them are fairly low, right? Um, and then they give us though a twenty four percent chance of making the playoffs, which I thought is fairly high. Um, you know that's contingent on us going eleven to one or twelve and zero, but you know that's a that's a fair shot. And then they give us a two point six percent chance of winning a national championship. So that's kind of what the preseason metric looks like for us. I don't know what formula they actually, what actual data they put in there. Um, but I think that's fair. I think, I think um, we are, I would rank us a little higher than seventh, but I understand because of the production loss, I think about a quarter percent chance of getting into the playoff is I take those odds because, you know, you, you get in, you have a shot to win it all. Right. So you have any kind of thoughts on, on that or anything else before we wrap the show up yeah uh, i have some uh, i have a fucking take man okay after georgia beats clemson by 14 points in the first game of the season notre dame's playoff odds are going to increase from 24 percent to 45 percent so that that that's my thoughts right off the bat no i mean we we are clearly a top six program you know, you go through obviously Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, I, Texas A and M, Georgia, Florida, Notre Dame. The, you know, that's that's probably your top eight. You know, and, and there's probably two, three teams that could probably sneak into that conversation at some point. That's pr- uh, maybe even like an LSU. I think LSU kind of just like had like a o- Oregon. Oregon could be good this year. I, I think Oregon's a bunch of frauds. Personally, my my personal thoughts on the matter, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, they might be there on paper, but they're just going to be inferior just because they have a weaker schedule. And, and like, you know, the, the Pac-12, I, I just won't take seriously until they make some noise in the playoffs. Um, and and yeah, I mean, that that's kind of that. That's where I'm at is is, you know, I, I see a minimum 11. Uh, I see a likely 12. I see that we are a top six program in the nation. And you know, it, it's a great time to be in South Bend, and and I'm I'm just looking forward to the season, man. It, it feels like it's just going to be one one big party over the course of what 14 weeks here. Um, that that's that's my thoughts. I'm feeling quite confident. Obviously, uh, this is this is very uncharacteristic of me historically, but uh, I think because of of my change in attitude is is reflective of the program growing as a whole. Yeah, it's we're at our best since the new Lou Holtz days. I don't think that's really debatable at this point. You know, coaches had us ranked seventh, AP had us ranked ninth. I think that's low, but I understand where they're coming from because they look at the loss of production. They don't know this team the way us homers do. Um, but I think this is going to be an excellent, excellent season. We've got, you know, unlike last year where there was only really one big game, we've got four really big games. We're going to have some guests on. We're going to be, I mean, we've grown. We've had about like 300 followers since like February on Twitter. Like we've got a, a pretty big following. We're getting bigger. Um, we're reaching out to people. You know, we've got some tricks up our sleeves. You've got the gifts as always. We always have hilarious content um, because we are super serious podcast that covered against Alabama. And um, I just think it's going to be a great year. And, and of course you and P are getting married. So, that's going to be super cool, and uh, it's. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an excellent season. I think this is going to be our best season yet from a podcast and content creator perspective. And I think 
our audience, of course, who's listening to us right now, I think they're in for a treat. I think, you know, they've been with us for so long and we've seen so much growth year by year. I think this is going to be a really, really good one. Yeah, now and we we got a we got a lot exactly up the sleeve as as uh, as you mentioned. Um, I am I am in charge of the Instagram account. Everyone, you know, for Horseman Pod or Horseman Pod, uh, exactly whatever our our Twitter handle is is exactly what it is on Instagram. I'm trying to I'm trying to beef that up at at least two posts a week. Uh, trying to psych everybody up for the season. Uh, so follow along on Instagram. Obviously, tweet at us on on Twitter. Uh, DM us, you know, we're, we're always open to conversation. We're always open to back and forth. Yeah. I think what we what, sometimes, we sometimes miss the DMS just because there's three of us on it and the notification comes and goes. So mm-hmm. don't take offense to it if we don't see it, but we're there we're, our DMS are open. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that's what we, we make an active effort to try to set ourselves apart. We are a, an extraordinarily high engagement podcast, especially if you follow our Twitter feed, you know, we'll quote tweet, we'll, we'll get into, uh, we'll get into the mud. You know, and, and that's yeah. because we are diehards at the end of the day. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be straight up about our bias and, and who we are and what we are. And, and we love this program. We love this team. And we have total and complete faith in them. And we're, we literally are happy to talk ND football all day, every day. So whether it's on Instagram, uh, whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook, just a little hint that might be something that's coming in the future as well. Uh, you know, we, we are, we are down with, uh, with the population, man. We, we are more than happy to, to, to mix it up with every, anyone and everyone. And we appreciate everyone's feedback, the retweets, the follows the, you know, anyone that you can, uh, recommend our podcast to, if you have that one guy that you speak to at the, the water cooler every, every week at work, uh, you know, in, in regards to Notre Dame, you know, just share this podcast, rate, review, subscribe the whole nine we absolutely love the engagement and and we truly genuinely you know your guys willingness to uh to to give us your thoughts and your feedback every step of the way is is what drive it's a driving force uh for us to always be better and kind of raise our profile to the next level so thank you so so much to all the fans we appreciate you guys yeah look we're we're a fan podcast made for fans right we're we're pretty authentic in who we are we don't take ourselves too seriously and we we look to have a good time and have a fun conversation um so of course we if you could please give us a five star review on apple podcasts leave us a nice review because look a lot of we make a lot of enemies being a a propaganda Notre Dame podcast yeah you guys <laughs> know Notre Dame is very much hated um but one thing I wanted to bring up and this is something we're going to introduce this year so Look, we've grown a lot, and I think our quality, our content quality, both on on in the podcast and on Twitter, I think has gone up a lot. And what that has done, though, it has been very time consuming. So, if you guys could consider contributing um, to us as a podcast, we have a link in the bottom of the description of the episode. It'll bring you to our anchor support. Uh, page where you can make a monthly contribution and we'll also be posting it on twitter and that will be our pin tweet too so you can con- contribute to us directly so look we have all careers we're all busy people but we want to keep producing high quality content for you and the best way to do that of course is for us to be able to you know keep this thing afloat because it you know it's time consuming it's costly so if you enjoy our content um please consider you know, uh, you know making a contribution it'd be greatly appreciated um and uh, we look forward to reaching out to you, hearing your comments and feedback and shooting us stuff on Twitter. You know, we appreciate that. And, and we do this because 
we love we love it, right? We love college football. We love Notre Dame, and we love you guys. We I think we have one of the best listener group out there, right? Because it's most intelligent by far. By far, they know they know everything about this program, and if they don't, they do by the end of the show. <laughs> so, guys, if you'd consider that, that would, uh, we'd we'd all greatly appreciate it. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to kicking off a really really good season. And it's going to start by kicking the living crap out of the Florida State Seminoles. Spot on, hundred percent correct. Uh, yeah, and any any sort of uh, you know donations to the cause would be mucho appreciado, especially given that uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, weddings are the most expensive thing known to mankind. Um, so <laughs> no, but love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, share, rate, review the whole nine. And you know, we're, we are looking to bring the absolute heat this year. And if you can think of anything that we can do as a value add, anything that we can do to step our game up, we, you know, this is an open feedback organization, you know, hit us up in any capacity. And, and we are looking to, to be introspective to see how we can make sure that we are accommodating the needs and the wants of, the, of, uh, of our listener group. So thank you very much for everyone. Yep. That's it. We need to sustain this and keep it growing. So any contributions is greatly appreciated. And, um, I look forward to coming back next week because we're going to have a big Florida State preview on for you guys. So I hope you're excited as we are. Yep, absolutely. Well, cheers to another 12-0 season and cheers to another college football playoff uh, appearance. Uh, This is Steve signing out. Dylan, take us away, brother. Go Irish.